a new Christmas season is now upon us. And before you know it, it will be December 25th. And so every single Sunday, we want to take a deep breath, slow down from the parties, the shopping, the travel, whether those are good memories for you or bad memories, and focus on the true meaning of Christmas. And so every single week, we will follow up our Advent time focusing on that very same theme in our sermon series. So today, we will be looking at the hope of Jesus. We will be in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. The American Research Group does a study every single year on the amount of money that shoppers spend at Christmas. They began this study in the late 80s, and this year we are predicted in America to spend an average of $993 on gifts per person. This is up from last year, where we spent $983 per person. And since this study began, it peaked at 2001 with $1,052 per shopper. So needless to say, presents are a very big part of Christmas in America. But we want to bring it back to Jesus. Nothing wrong with presents. I'm fortunate enough that my parents and Ashley's parents take care of all of the gifts for my children. And I don't spend hardly anything on them. Now that's partly because I'm cheap. But it's also partly because they spend too much on them. So I just take the benefits, okay? <laughs> now, as we begin this morning. Hear me say, I love Christmas, I love gifts, I love parties, I love family, I love friends. I'm not condemning any of those things. But we want to make sure that the most fond memories we have of the Christmas season revolve around Jesus himself. So we will be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning, beginning in verse 2. It will be on the screen as well. You can read along with me. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, 
there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we have this conversation from afar between John and Jesus. And John asks this very important question at the outset. Are you the one who is to come? Now John has a vested interest in this question because he has been along the Jordan preaching repentance, telling people to turn away from their sin, baptizing people, baptizing Jesus himself. What John is really asking Jesus here is the question, is this for real? And if we were to be honest with ourselves this morning, we all ask that question of Jesus. Is he really who he says he is? Can we really believe what the Bible teaches us about Jesus? An entire segment of New Testament research focuses on the historical Jesus. They take the sayings and the miracles of Jesus and they ask the question, can these be verified in history? You see, John's question of Jesus here is really one of expectation. John was expecting most likely a military or a political ruler who's going to come overthrow the Romans and bring peace and freedom to the Jewish people. But at this point in the story, Jesus has done none of those things. So John wants to know before he goes any further, is this really the Jesus that I'm seeing? You see, all of us can be guilty of creating in our minds a Jesus that we want to worship instead of actually worshiping the Jesus who is here. We create our own expectations. We create our own ideas of what we think Jesus should be instead of just allowing him to be the God that we find in the scriptures. I'm sure many of you in this room know people who cannot follow after Jesus for a number of reasons. One of the most common is that how can Jesus say he is the only way to salvation? I have a good friend who cannot wrap his mind around the idea that only Jesus is the way to heaven. What about a good Muslim, a good Buddhist, a good Hindu? Surely they deserve eternal life in heaven as well. It's a good question. But the reality is, as soon as we decide who should be allowed into heaven, we have made ourselves God. And so the message of Jesus, although it appears exclusive on face value, is available to all who will accept it. So this holiday season, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is the Jesus that we worship, is he for real? Or is he just another imposter? Second thing we have to see is that actions always speak louder than words. 
It's interesting, when John sends his disciples to Jesus, Jesus' response is not a bunch of words, it's all actions. You go tell John that I'm healing the deaf, the lame, and the blind. I'm preaching good news to the poor. I'm curing leprosy. I'm raising people from the dead. You see, John wanted more evidence. Jesus gives it to him, not in words, but in action. Here is what I'm doing. It's interesting, though, that Jesus tells John these things, and many of them have already been seen in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 35 says that the Messiah will come, and he will heal the deaf, the lame, and the blind. Isaiah 61 tells us that the Messiah will come and preach good news to the poor. And just in case that's not enough, Jesus says, I have been taking the two conditions in the ancient world that were seen as incurable, leprosy and death, and I have conquered both of those as well. And then we have this interesting phrase in verse 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What is Jesus saying to us here? What is he saying to John? John is offended at Jesus? It's very possible that John was. Think of the amount of time and energy and passion that John had put in to telling everybody to prepare for the Messiah. What it cost him personally. And yet in this passage we know that John is sitting in prison. Most likely not what he was expecting to happen when the Messiah actually came on the scene. Which is a reminder to all of us that oftentimes we worship Jesus when our circumstances are going the way we want them to. And then when God throws us for a loop and things don't exactly go the way we want them to, are we still willing to worship Jesus? You know, the number one question that all skeptics and all philosophers have that are against Christianity, it always goes back to this, the problem of evil. Why could a good God allow evil to exist in the world? But I'm convinced that it's not so much the problem of evil as it is a misunderstanding of what Jesus tells us about what will happen to us if we follow after him. Because Jesus tells us, persecution will come. You will have to abandon relationships that you had. You will suffer for me. Jesus never promises us success in this world, prosperity, good health, wealth. Jesus promises none of those things. So really, when we come across a person who can't grasp why God would allow evil to exist in the world, we should remind them that Jesus does not promise that we will always experience good circumstances. And yet, we worship him anyways. We also see the necessity of John's ministry. John was the forerunner of hope. He was called into the wilderness to tell people it's time to repent 
of your sin. It's time to turn away and get your hearts ready for what's about to happen. Jesus himself says that John is the most important prophet. Think of all the prophets through the history of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the list goes on and on. But their prophecies happened hundreds of years earlier. The reason John is so important is because his prophecy runs neck and neck with Jesus' actual ministry. He is a contemporary of Jesus. The forerunner of hope. John is crucial to the story of Jesus because he prepares people's hearts for what Jesus would come to do down the road. And the best thing that this text teaches us happens in verse 11. When Jesus says, you know, John is the greatest prophet born of women. He's the greatest man that's ever lived, essentially is what Jesus is saying here. And yet, what does Jesus say? The least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You know, the kingdom of heaven is a phrase used 32 times in the gospel of Matthew. We don't find it in any other gospel. We don't find it anywhere else in the entire New Testament. Kingdom of heaven is a unique phrase to Matthew. And what he tells his audience here is that Jesus came. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, I don't care how successful the world tells you you are, you will be that much more successful if you are a follower of me. Because you will spend eternity with me in heaven. Jesus turns to the crowd And he says, who did you come to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? This is a reference to grass that grew along the Jordan River. What Jesus is saying is, did you come to sightsee these plants? It was also a way that rabbis talked about teachers who came and taught the current mood of the day. In other words, a popular message. Jesus is asking, did you come to sightsee? Did you come to hear this popular message? John's message was not popular. And then he says, did you come to see somebody in soft clothing? Somebody from the palace, an eloquent, sophisticated speaker. We know that John ate bugs, and he wore camel's hair, and a leather belt. He is not your typical, eloquent, sophisticated human being. And then Jesus says, no, you didn't come to see any of those things. You came to see a prophet. The greatest prophet that's ever lived. And the reason John is the greatest is because he is the forerunner of hope. Hope for forgiveness of sin. Hope for eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's what makes him so important to the story. And yet we're reminded how important it is, the value of understanding that the more unimportant we are, 
the more like Jesus we become. Let me say it again. The more unimportant we are, the more like Jesus we become. So what's the solution? How do we become unimportant in a world that values and prioritizes fame and fortune and success? It's interesting that John the Baptist himself gives us the answer to this in the Gospel of John. And this is what he says. He says, He must increase and I must decrease. That's the solution. That's how you become an unimportant person. You increase your thoughts, your attitude, and your talk about Jesus, and you decrease it about yourself. You want to share hope with a coworker or a neighbor or a family member this Christmas season, you elevate the amount of time you spend talking about Jesus, and you decrease the amount of time you spend talking about yourself. In a world where everyone wants to be at the top, Jesus tells us, put yourself at the bottom. Willingly lay down your life for other people. The world is changing faster and faster by the day. Did you know that it took the telephone 75 years to reach 50 million people? It took television 13 years to reach 50 million people. It took the internet four years to reach 50 million people. It took Angry Birds four days to reach 50 million people. How we become counterculture in this world is not to make more of ourselves, not to elevate ourselves, but to elevate Jesus. That might not make you popular. That might not put you at the top of your profession. It might not make you make the most amount of money. But we already know from this passage that the least in the kingdom of heaven is loved and adored by Jesus. I love this quote by J.I. Packer that I want to share with you this morning as he talks about hope. He says, The Christmas message is that there is hope for our ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Every one of us in this room has to understand what Jesus is really offering the world. And he's not offering wealth, success, health. He's offering eternal life. Everything that we build up in this world has an expiration date. But eternal life in Jesus does not. That is the hope that Jesus offers every one of us 
the city of New Orleans, the United States, and the world. Hope that one day we can be with him forever, worshiping him. Let's pray together this morning. God, we know that you love every single person that's here, every single person that's watching on our webcast, every single person in this city. God, there are so many who are looking for hope in the wrong places. So I pray that you would soften hearts, that you would draw people to you. And God, for those of us who are already in Christ, I pray that we would keep you the focus and the center of this Christmas season. That our fondest memories would be spent thinking about you, focusing on what you did for us. We would be nowhere without the hope that you provide. Thank you, Jesus for forgiveness, for eternal life, for salvation. Speak to us now as we respond, not only today, but throughout the week, as we continue to think about this Advent season. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.